Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Thursday edition of the American Scouser podcast. I am going to be your host tonight, Callie, coming to you from Western Massachusetts, and I am joined with Scotty Fish in North Carolina. Scotty, how are you doing? Good. How are you guys doing today? I think we're doing better than you. I hear you might be laid up a little bit from a little footy injury. Maybe the big yeah. boy shouldn't be running around like you said. Yeah, to. sometimes I have to remember that I'm I'm now a coach. I think the playing days are behind me. <laughs> well, we won't let the the uh, the folks in the in the city office or the state officials hear those words because you know, as those of you may not know, Scott is one of our fine men in blue. So he's on light duty this week, but that's all right. That hamstring will be back, and uh, like many of our Reds, they'll be back as well. And also with us tonight, uh, first time with me on the podcast, is David Rice from Atlanta, Georgia. David, how are we doing? Doing good. Happy to be here. Thanks, sir. We are very happy to have you, and uh, what a time it is to be a Red. We have a final coming up. We have a final in two weeks, and we had a match and another victory to review. So we're going to start here with where the Reds started this week, and that was uh, with the match uh, against our old friend and foe, uh, Stevie G. Um, new foe, old friend. The captain put out a strong lineup, and you could tell uh, his team was up for it from the start. But Jurgen, he ran in some changes, and... I was a little surprised with the lineup, not as much the rotation. Uh, but, David, let's start with you. Before you even saw the lineup, did you expect rotation? And to what degree of rotation did you expect in this match? I, yeah, I did expect it. Um, it didn't happen in the places I thought it would, to be honest. Uh, I, I never would have thought Salah would have sat. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy that he got a day off finally. Um, but I thought Fabinho was fairly poor against Tottenham and looked tired and was ripe for rotating anyhow. Uh, then he doesn't look good for how long did he play? 23, 25 minutes, something like that before he got injured. Um, yeah, it was about 30 on the sub, but you're right about 25 where it was actually running around the pitch. Yeah. And he didn't look good. That's why he just doesn't look like himself at the moment. I, I think he's. Not 100%. Klopp said after the game that he didn't have anything wrong. But uh, I would have thought Henderson or even – I kind of expected James Milner to play in this game of all the games that we have yeah, remaining. This agreed. was a right for Milner kind of game. Uh, so I thought, you know, he'll probably throw Hendo in the six and have Milner play an eight with Keita and give Tiago and Fabinho the day off was my thinking. Um, so I was a little surprised at the lineup, like where the changes were made. Um, but – and like I guess since he brought Robbo off at the weekend, I wasn't expecting him to. I thought maybe Gomez would play for Trent, but I wasn't expecting Robbo to not be in the lineup. So yeah, it was a, a little bit of an odd one uh, this time out. But you know, I don't know what the data, the sports science people were telling him. So <laughs> I'm sure that informed his decision. <laughs> exactly, and it always does. I I was too. I was. I was. I'm with you right there. Um, I never would have put Salah on the bench. He seems like he's due a goal. Um, he does like a match against Villa. He's had success against him in the league prior. And also just the, the overall mood around him just felt like he would play. And he was rested the week prior at Newcastle. So I thought maybe we'd see Mane get a little bit of a breather or even Diaz. Um, I also thought that this was a James Milner start, maybe his final start. You know, um, maybe that'll act and against one of his former clubs, which also yeah. would have made some sense. Um, but I think, you know, the Smeekis start, that Costas made sense to me because even though Robbo came out early last week, he did look a little bit gassed um, and still looks a little off the pace. So I think a full breather of 90 minutes was good for him. We'll get to uh, Costas's kind of role in that first goal. How about you, Scotty, when it came to this lineup, um, focus on the midfield, your thoughts, surprises, Jones inclusion, Fabinho getting a start. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, you know, in our discord chat, I can't quite remember who said, but somebody said that this was going to be a, a Jones or, or Harvey match. And I definitely, when I read that, I said, you know, that, that makes sense. It was you galley, wasn't it? <laughs> and, uh, 
I said that definitely makes sense. I, I think that one of the two is definitely going to start, and lo and behold, obviously Jones came in. I'm going to, uh, you know, reverberate what you guys said too. I, I thought that Milner was a, a sure starter for this game, um, whether that be in the more attacking role on the um, right side or whether that be in that number six where Fabinho was. Uh, I, I just thought that our rotation could use it. And also against kind of a an engine room type midfield that Aston Villa had with, you know, McGinn and and with um, Douglas Luiz. And, and I thought that it would have been probably good for, for some senior legs to be on there, especially if it we're looking into the FA Cup. Do we completely change our midfield three altogether? Do we take off Henderson, Thiago, and Fabinho from the start and, and let them have a rest? That way they're fresh for Chelsea. Um, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. No one, No one really can say that, oh, well, Fabinho is definitely going to get injured from the start. And obviously, you know, we see that now that that was the case. But, you know, uh, in the end, we got the win. I, I just think that maybe we could have just been a little bit smarter from the from the start just with our lineup. Yeah, it did seem to me like the lineup, there's one thing to make every rotation. And we've all seen it where the rotation leads to slow starts or maybe even stop and like stop and go starts where they may come out like a bat out of hell, which is easy when you practice how you're going to come out for 15 minutes. And then you get 15 minutes in and you're like, wait, now we're supposed to apply this for another 75 minutes of this at what pace. And, and then the, the, the mindset breaks down and, and you see those subtle mistakes. It wasn't even that for me as much as when you have rotation but you don't even leave the small pockets of players that were used to playing together. Yeah. So you break up, you know, Mane and Diaz with, you know, Tiago behind them in the triangle they've been working through. And now you slide Tata over there, but then you bring in Henderson and you move Tata to the right and you bring Jones over to the left. So it was almost like you just had all these moving parts and I thought you could almost see it. And well, Gally, also choppy. Well, we we've seen in the past, you know, and and I don't want to use the the term easy, but we've seen in the past Klopp use, for example, Salah in games that maybe those were the times he should have had a rest. So in a time where you know we're we're at the end of the season, we'll obviously discuss how much we're going for later in the pod. But I feel like now is the time to really put our players when they're fit and they're raring to go. We gotta, we gotta go for these games. And, and obviously rotation's important, but if a player is there and ready and, and they know their own body, the, the sports statistic guys in the back know what these players are capable of, they should be playing on the field. Yeah. I, I think some of that, you know, comes down to the sports science numbers. Some of it does have to come down to the eyeball test. Cause I'm with David. I, um, you know, I jokingly said in the discord channel, and for those who don't know what we're talking about, we put some posts out about it. We'll put a comment later. Uh, it's basically our virtual pub where we talk during the match, during the week uh, about Liverpool transfers, drinks, designer food, video games, basically anything you could talk about. Um, but it's our supporters group. And there's a conversation going on in there. And we joked, you know, I think I made the comment that I thought, and I said it Monday on the podcast, I think Fabinho could have been sent off for any two of his six yellow cards against Tottenham <laughs> on the weekend. Um, and possibly the one red <laughs> that they didn't decide to look at. So, you know, I guess in some ways we were – lucky that he was able to play or he could have had three days off and then his hamstring might three games off and his hamstring might be feeling better. But the, the real, the, the truth of it is, is he's been looking a little leggy lately. He's looked off uh, a little out of sorts at different times um, really over the past, I'd say month, month and a half. Um, the rest has done him well, but I don't think he's gotten as much of a blow as even Tiago or Hendo during this time. And I think that's, that's what has a slightly more informed Nabi Keita actually offers so much to the squad is he allows you to give a breather without a huge drop-off. And, you know, we've talked about it earlier. We're going we're gonna to park the bus on transfers to the summer, but I think we'll have a show or two dedicated 
to finding cover for Fab. Because if there's one thing that this side might have seen just over the whole long haul of, well, let's be honest, 63 matches, which is ridiculous in itself, um, is that there are some holes to fill some cover in on this squad. But let's get to the match itself. Um, I'll tell you this. I was sitting in a dentist chair. I had a uh, crown pop off, and the only time they could see me was 3 p.m., and I literally got frustrated, and then they told me if I got there 15 minutes early, they'd get me in and out as soon as possible. I was outside by 3.03, and somehow we were already losing. Um, <laughs> my dashboard might have heard a couple four-letter words. And then before my SiriusXM could catch up from my phone to the SiriusXM, Matip had scored and we had leveled. So by the time I got to the supporters pub with all my buddies, it was already one-to-one. -one, and I felt like I was about three drinks behind everybody. So... <laughs> And three heart why attacks. Why don't you talk me through, Scotty, what you saw uh, early in that match, uh, what you thought attributed to the goal. I know I have my opinion on kind of the breakdown on defense. So talk to me about Douglas's goal yeah. and, you know, how it how it happens. Yeah, li listen, I mean, maybe we can attest it to – the disconnect, the the amount of changes that gone in, but but obviously there was a, a lack of being responsible for for your space, for your man, for for runners in in the first, I, I would say, twenty five minutes. Um, clearly, they were disjointed. the The goal comes off, and listen, you know. People can say, oh, you know, Ollie Watkins was in an offsides position you know, a, a couple passes prior to what ultimately led to the first goal. But the, the reality is, is, is that Liverpool did not take their chance to come back, reset and follow their runners. And just the, the entire kind of lack of intensity from, from our uh, starting lineup for right from kickoff was a little bit alarming and obviously our goal comes and and after 6 minutes the game's level at 1-1 but the reality is is we did not play well enough within the first 25 30 minutes and you know david mentioned fabinho's kind of poor form in in while he was on the pitch and obviously fabinho's been so important to us the last you know season the last 3 4 seasons and and Unfortunately, I think that it just has to do with the connections, has to do with the responsibilities that your teammates hold. If you make a run or if you make a, a tackle, somebody has to be covering the space that you now have left unoccupied. And I just did not see any of that. It was like we were defending with our 11 players individually, and there was no cohesion. There was, there was no responsibility in a formation. And for sure, I mean, I bet you from America, we heard Jurgen Klopp yelling at all of them. I mean, the man was going crazy the entire game, not just when we were losing, not when we were tied, not when we were winning. We He was going mad the whole time. And frankly, I thought the players deserved it, deserved all the wrath. Yeah, it seemed a little disconnected. Um, David, from your standpoint, as a supporter who's watched many matches over the years now, what do you attribute you know, some of these slow starts or, you know, some of these kind of stop starts, these, these mental mistakes, do you attribute it to the rotation, to the lack of familiarity with the players, or, you know, is it just the just mental fatigue at this point? It's a little bit of everything, right? You know, it's, look, it's a grind. The course of the Premier League, Premier League season, it turns into a little bit of a slog at some point when you're playing that much football. I think, you know, just from playing too, like sometimes as a squad, you go out and you kind of get off just slightly on the wrong foot and you need that person who's going to like react and like provide a spark or do something that's going to kind of wake everybody up. And like Scott said, it, they all kind of seemed a little bit asleep. There was not much cohesion. The communication isn't there. Like I've, I've played in teams where, we started the game and no one said a word for 15 minutes. <laughs> we weren't communicating at all and took somebody putting their foot up our butts essentially to, <laughs> to say like, talk to each other, you know? And I think that's part of what Klopp is screaming from the sidelines is like, 
you know, you're not communicating, you're not hunting in packs, you're not working together. None of that was happening. We were giving them way too much space in places. So the Simicos looked lost at times. Um, you know, it's just a bad start. And that, that, that happens from time to time. Sometimes you're able to weather the storm. You know, somebody, somebody like a Van Dyke does something brilliant and covers you. But in this case, it just was sloppy. And, and David, you brought up a good point. I mean, you know, you need that person to to yell or talk to you. And I think that, you know, Van Dyke comes in as, as captain this game. And Van Dyke, I think when he's a captain of a team, he's very much a lead by example. When you see Van Dyke yelling, it's usually after maybe a teammate has done a mistake and he's yelling and said, hey, get your head in the game. What What are you doing? You have to be over here. Yeah. I think that we see when Milner or Henderson's on the field, specifically Henderson, that man's barking orders live time. I mean, it's it's not post mistake. It's it's not after the play's gone. I mean, that man's telling them where to go. That that man's keeping people focused. And I think that maybe we definitely did not have that leadership from from the first whistle because neither him or Milner were on the field. It's not a coincidence. Yeah, when he comes out, just... we get better immediately. Like just Correct. immediately the team picks up pace, everything like the passing gets a little bit sharper, movement gets a little bit better. We, we get into the game more. It's not a coincidence. I thought he was fantastic throughout the game. Actually, it's it's for sure one of those performances from the captain where I just think to myself, like anybody who thinks he's on his way, like they're going to kind of start <laughs> drifting him off. I'm sorry. He's still a massive part of the a really important player in this team. And a lot of it is what he does organizationally. So, Yeah, he, he offers so much and uh, so much of the pace, so much of the speed of the midfield and the movement and the breaking down in between the lines, let alone the areas of the pitch that he takes up and the pockets of space he finds himself in. Sure, is he um, as deep on some runs as Keita is or, you know, Genie used to be? No, but he's a different midfielder. He finds himself at the edge of the box with swooping in crosses and, you know, key goals off the wing. So um, Henderson brings so much. He comes on in the 30th minute. The pace picks up immediately. I felt we looked a little better going into the half, but I still don't think a single player on the pitch after 45 minutes, maybe other than Henderson's 15, had actually acquitted themselves in any way where they were walking into that uh, dressing room with their head held high. And I have to imagine they heard something uh, from the gaffer um, during that, you know, 15 minute team talk. Scott, when we come out at the half and don't make any changes, first couple minutes, there's not really an uptick in form or, or passion. Are you mm -hmm. thinking yeah. to yourself, it might be one of those days? I, I mean, when when I say you know one one of those days, I I look back at say the Spurs game, right? How how we didn't play badly. We we played really well, and just we couldn't find that last touch. You know the the box was packed together. The the Liverpool that doesn't get the win and looks disjointed, I think just has to come down to the the personal connections on on the pitch when, when it comes to the field. So you you have a, a team of, in the beginning, you know, Keita and Jones, who really don't have that connection and that, that we've seen. Frankly, they just, I feel like we haven't seen them play together that much. And when Henderson comes on, he's obviously adept to playing that number six. But recently, you know, he's been kind of finding himself higher up the pitch. I think that definitely a switch could have been done at half. I personally would have loved to see Tiago from the half. Um, but frankly, you know, I, Jurgen Klopp, he's he's the man for the job, right? He he sees that maybe something isn't working after 15 minutes and, and he switches it up. But yeah, when you see how we played at half, you you expect some sort of intensity change let alone personnel, but intensity. And to not see that was a little bit alarming, especially when, when we have such important games coming up. So before we make the moves um, in the second half and bring on Tiago, bring on Mo, 
uh, score the go-ahead. David, what was your kind of overall comfort of, you know, and level of play of the front three, let's say leading up to Tiago's inclusion, you know, when he comes on in the 60th minute, what was your overall kind of feeling up to then? Because I know I was a little bit underwhelmed for what we've gotten so accustomed to seeing recently with the front three. I think it was just a little bit lost. You know, they're not, I wasn't, I think they lacked a little bit of help coming in from behind from the midfields. Um, you know, nobody else coming in to help create and take some of the pressure off of them, allow them to make that next run, that next pass, whatever it is. Um, and, I, you know, Jota is a player who can be amazing and then can also be really underwhelming at times. And I don't think that he was particularly underwhelming against Villa, but I didn't think that he was offering quite what we needed at times uh, in terms of intensity. And I, it, I thought to myself, like, this is a game I really wish Bobby Firmino was healthy. <laughs> yeah. You know what sure. I mean? Like, he can drop deep and defend. Bobby's our best defender sometimes, you know. And yeah. He can create from defense in up top. And that's something I felt like in that game, I just I, we could have used that. And we were lacking it. Mane obviously can do a lot of that as well. But uh, in this one, I just yeah, – in I with Sadio, I just thought don't take him off because you just never know. He only needs like one moment, and then he got it from when Diaz puts in that cross. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. I, I think you know it's it's been uh, the way they started against Tottenham was pretty, you know, was okay. But again, yeah, so- I was gonna say um, obviously Fish wasn't on the Monday podcast. He's a much nicer grader than I because <laughs> to say that we played well in that match in any way, shape, or form, I thought it was one of our poorest performances for 90 minutes of the year and for all the people out there that are kind of banging on Tottenham and you know they played an archaic style but they were coming to a den where if they attacked they were going to get beat 5-0 and they needed a point and after getting the win they did today it was a great point and to be honest if it isn't for a deflected goal that wasn't really on goal anyways you know they come away with a smash and grab of all three points basically with a tactical masterclass like showing up and just doing what you have to do to get three points. And at, at the business end of the season, you know, I thought we were really poor. To, I felt like we stole a point against Spurs. I feel like we earned three points at Villa because yeah. we overcame a rocky start. We overcame an early goal. And that is something of champions and something of, you know, special proportions. And, you know, let's talk briefly here as we wrap this one up about Mane's goal. Um, mm-hmm. It is – Probably not highlighted enough or recognized for how classy of a finish it is. It is a great, and if I hear flat cross one more time, I swear (laughs) to God, they get these buzzwords. They hear something on a broadcast. They act like they've never heard it before, and they repeat it for a month. Um, And then two months from now, they act like they never heard it again. uh, So the flat cross comes in from Diaz. And, you know, Mane's ability, he missed two basic headers, sitters Mm -hmm. earlier in the match. And then this one, he gets his neck low, turns behind him, and just cushions it in. If he tries to put power, if he tries to place it, the thing is going, you know, rose-ed or off the corner flag. Um, But instead, he slots it into the corner. Uh, Such class. And to David's point, um, it's why you don't take off a goal scorer, right? Like, when you have a goal scorer, and they're on the pitch, you don't take them off. So let's talk about the goal scorer we brought on the pitch who has been struggling at scoring goals. Um, What do you chalk this up to, David, um, with Mo? Is it pure? And I I know it's a little everything, but what would you, if you're splitting up the blame pie, do you lay this at mental fatigue, just sheer physical fatigue, because he didn't get the break I believe he really needed when he came back from AFCON. Or how much of this do we lay on the fact that he just hasn't decided whether or not he's going to sign that contract? And everywhere he goes, it's the first thing that he and his teammates have to answer to. I think it's a significant distraction. Um, I think the other piece that we've got to remember is they lose the AFCON final 
and then don't qualify for the World Cup. And that, I think, sort of had a, a detrimental effect on him mentally this season. Because ever since, it, particularly since the World Cup, th- that thing, I, he just hasn't quite looked the same. He's looked a little broken. Um, and my thing with him is, is I think it's a little, I don't, you know, I'm sure it's heartbreaking, but this is not going to be his last run with Egypt. He's 29 years old. Uh, Mo Salah is in incredible shape and doesn't, he takes amazing care of himself. He'll probably play international footy till he's 35. So he's got a yeah. whole nother cycle of all this in him. You know, it's, you got to keep your head up, lad, and just keep kicking on. Um, but I think it's co- sort of broken him. And then he's got all these distractions from the contract. And yeah, of course he is tired and the, the pressure is sort of mounting. Folks are catching up in the golden boot race. We know that this stuff does mean something to him. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, it, yeah, you're right. It is a mix, but I, this contract thing is not helping at all. Um, I really wish they could settle it, but uh, I don't know if there's a way to do it without breaking the wage structure. So. <laughs> Again, probably a discussion for yet another podcast on another day. But, it, you know, I thought it was poignant to bring up when we talk about his goals. Um, Matus chimes in for those listening on the podcast. I don't think any Liverpool player cares as deeply representing their national team as Mo does. He is Egypt. And I and I do agree. Now, I think it's it's fair to say that, you know, Robertson's going to be pretty proud Scotland gets themselves into that World Cup and, and he can knock that and get them through. Or, you know, even some of the smaller players that play for Wales or represent different countries. But there is something profound when it comes to Mo in Egypt because he carries so much for the nation as being the bell-ringing superstar player. And let's be fair, you know, they are they were brutal to watch yeah it was brutal it wasn't even like watching yeah. him it was like watching a a, a, a false nine play it you yeah. know a, a, if, a player of mo or ronaldo's class playing you know at stoke city running up top and then yeah. hoping for penalties and, and defending for nine yeah give so, give the ball to salah and then pray that that was yeah that was it was good. you know it was it was kind of an embarrassment. So in a lot of ways, when Mane was doing what he was doing, I, I, you know, I think Senegal has a chance to advance from one of the toughest groups at the World Cup. They have an outside puncher's chance if things break their way. And, you know, Mane deserves it just as well. And I think what we're seeing is the fruits of coming off of winning the African Cup of Nations, <laughs> being named the best player in Africa, and then qualifying your country for the World Cup is – you find a way to get back in form after having 18 months of subpar performances. And the guy who's been doing it for 18 months finds a way to go into the shell. So maybe we can flip that script over the summer. We'll sign some contracts and we'll figure out how to come back and roll this thing back for six or seven trophies next year. But before we get into our conversation about the next trophy at hand, uh, which we will preview um, the – FA Cup final coming up on Saturday. I wanted to bring to your attention an article that recently was posted. Um, believe it or not, our very own David Rice uh, wrote the piece for uh, AmericanScouser.com. And here was a quick quote from it that he shared in the article. And it's, whether the title is gone or not, I don't know. But we have no time to bemoan its death. If so, if this team has taught us anything, it's that they'll go for everything and give us all they have. And it was really in response to where we're at as a club, where we are as supporters, um, some of the positive and some of the negative feedback out there as the league starts to maybe slip away. And I thought it was something that um, we should talk about tonight. It was a great topic, uh, a conversation starter on the website uh, published last night. So we thought we would get maybe a little insight from the author himself uh, David, where you were coming from in writing the piece, uh, and just take us through your mindset and how you're looking at this as a supporter, regardless of how it goes from here. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, I, um, you know, after Saturday, I just felt like you kind of look around and you see, uh, it just felt feels like, I don't know, everybody's kind of too sad for a season where you're going to possibly do a cup trouble. 
<laughs> I, I think, look, it is just, it's disappointing, right? To, to have a run like this, to, to probably exceed 90 points again. <coughs> Sorry. And then not win the league. It's, it's heartbreaking. But at the same time, you know, they were chasing the impossible. I mean, a quadruple, no one in England has ever done it. This is as close as anybody has ever come. No yeah. one's ever had the hope of a quadruple alive at this point in the season, except for this Liverpool team. And so, I mean, the achievement of that in and of itself is amazing. And then you look at what they're up against, right? You got to think about, I hear people say all the time, they love the expression, the league is your bread and butter. But I think that that stems from a mentality from 40 years ago when you know, Liverpool really ran the show and pre-Premier League. But in a reality with Manchester City and Chelsea and now Newcastle with oil money, state-backed teams and oligarchs, you know, that we're up against and the depth of the league, you know, it's not your bread and butter anymore. It's you do what you can. Top four is really your bread and butter. And for this club... Our club, I believe that the European Cup is our bread and butter. That's really where this club makes itself known and is, is something special. Not that winning the league isn't special. I, oh God, I want to do it. <laughs> but let's be real. We're up against a lot on that front. And we're the only squad out there that's even competing with Manchester City for the last four years. Nobody else has even come close. We're the only ones that have beat them. So – that in and of itself tells you that like we are a level we are so elite right now that we can compete with what seems impossible yeah and then we can go win cup troubles and for all of us here at best case scenario a cup trouble comes around in your lifetime maybe once every 22 years that's the pace we're going at with cup troubles right now so like yeah, last one was, what, 2001, 2000 or something like that? So I think, like, don't lose sight of the fact of, like, how exciting and how incredible this is, what, what they're doing. And if they don't win the league, hey, they don't win the league. They're up against ridiculous odds and a team that's built to do that. But it doesn't negate the fact that what they're doing is amazing and that we might get to have two more days out in the sun with shiny, big, shiny trophies and have a big party out of it. So that's where so I was for going. those of you uh, for those of you out there looking, um, you can read David's piece. Uh, he we're lucky enough to have him uh, contributing on the site each month at least once, sometimes twice a month uh, with different op ed pieces. And they're always very thoughtful and we appreciate it. And the uh, title of this one is three weeks, five matches and no rest, no rest for the weary. So we're one of those matches down. And we're going to get to talk about another one of those matches in a bit. But before we do, um, Scott, to that end, right, to where we are now in the league, we've seen two consecutive, you know, I they're pretty much clinical Manchester City beatdowns. Mm -hmm. And this is what Manchester City does, and maybe the one difference. When, when Manchester City knows they need to score some goals, they – you know, Kevin De Bruyne literally puts on his big boy pants, puts his foot on your neck, and just scores goals. I mean, you you almost see yeah. it. Um, if they want to attack and break someone down, they will. Now they'll also concede a bad goal like they did against Wolves. Um, but in winning their last two matches, ten-one on aggregate, yeah. they put themselves in a pretty commanding position, up three points, going into this these last two matches starting with West Ham, is the league done and dusted if City doesn't lose to West Ham United? And if that is the case, would you consider rotating for Southampton and Wolves to make sure we had both fresh and, more importantly, healthy legs in Paris? I, I think that as a... As a, a Liverpool supporter basically my whole life, I mean, we, you never stop believing, right? I is, But we're at the point now where we do need help from other teams. And the reality is, is that I believe that City have to drop points on both of their remaining games. Um, 
their their form has been fantastic domestically. Um, we can all have a little chuckle at them against Real Madrid, but uh, the the reality is is that I think like you know David mentioned bread and butter, City that that's their thing. They they are created to be basically warriors in the league, and even if it means that we are relying on other teams to basically help us out and, and take points from city West Ham and Aston Villa. I believe one has to tie and the other has to win to basically for us to win the league, as well as us win out their, our last remaining two games. It's, it's no small feat. You know, I, I don't know. I can't speak for, you know, my, positivity on whether West Ham or Villa are able to take off points. I think that city again are in great form domestically, but the reality is, is, you know, David put it very eloquently in his uh, article. We're looking at again, uh, an above possibly an above 90 point season and possibly not winning the league. And and the reality is, is we have played incredibly over this season We've done fantastically and we can do what we can do. And, and fans that maybe are joining the, you know, the squad and, and joining watching maybe don't recognize just how hard it is to keep this sort of form that we've showed, regardless of what city's doing, how hard it is for us to get higher than 90 points, higher than 80, 82 points, which, you know, it, it really is, Incredible. So we can only focus on what we're doing, whether West Ham and Villa, you know, take off points. I hope I pray for it. Um, do I expect it? Not necessarily, but Hey, we just keep playing our matches. We keep winning and, and we'll do what we can do. And we'll look at the cups to get a couple extra trophies and see what happens. The two says, uh, if losing the league means losing all the air quotes, supporters, <laughs> angered by not doing a quadruple it's a fair trade and i think there is some of that i think the more you are out there whether it's in the facebook groups the larger groups some of the domestic groups the international groups you see a lot of that fair weather fans you see a lot of the mistakes and and you know what everybody was a new fan at one point or supporter it's okay to ask a question that seems rudimentary because we are all supporters in this club and everybody's at a different uh, level of their path. Right. And they're, um, and the really falling in love. You know, I don't think every one of us from day one was giving up hours, writing articles and doing podcasts at night. Um, but you get there, right. Cause the passions get in, in, entrenched in you. I just think the ridiculousness sometime and the pettiness starts to wear on you when you try to have these conversations with folks that, regardless of whether they disagree with me, just don't be petty about it. And you have to be realistic. And to me, that's the difference. The quadruple was never realistic. Did I want it? Hell yeah. I'm going to be there next Sunday. I'm still hoping a miraculous miracle happens. But if it doesn't happen, I'm going to enjoy my trip. I'm going to enjoy my first ever time walking into that beautiful mecca of football and sport and I'm going to have a great time and I'm going to cheer the boys off on their way to Paris to hopefully make me proud and hopefully be the first set of supporters to cheer them with the FA Cup on parade at the stadium, you know, that day. So, you know, that's that's or actually will be the second set of supporters because the Southampton matches after. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> I um, but I do want to talk on quickly before we migrate in and really wrap it all up with the FA Cup final. There's a big match today, obviously, in North London between Spurs and Arsenal. Um, Spurs came out, did what they usually do, which is when their backs are up against the wall and they play Arsenal, they make Arsenal look like Spurs. Um, and, you know, Arteta's boys did what they do, which is basically bottle it, freak out, get a red card, and act like their capitulating manager does on the touchline. <laughs> and it was kind of fun for me to see it's one point with two matches to go, Arsenal has Newcastle and Everton playing for a lot, obviously, in Everton. Spurs, Burnley playing for a lot. Norwich already looking for that balloon payment back to the championship next year. Um, David, who who do you see finishing fourth? 
And how big is it over this next week and a half to these two clubs that one of them will be in the Champions League next year and the other one will be in the Europa League <laughs> traveling to Turkey on, on Thursdays and playing Sundays in the Prem? I mean, it's massive, right? It puts you into both of them are in a place where they need some, they need to make some purchases in the summer, right? Uh, some changes need to be made. You want to be in a class of player where you're shopping in the Champions League pool. And without that, you're just going to, you can get those players, but you're going to have to pay a lot more. Mm-hmm. And it gets harder and harder to do it, right? So, and you really have to find the right characters as much as anything else. Um, so it's not easy. And I think that, you know, both of them are doing a good job. I mean, in terms of like the way they're building these current sites, uh, Conte's come in and what he's done there has been fantastic. Uh, you know, you mentioned earlier, like put in an old school performance and get the points you need, but that's, it is what they've they did done. It, what they right? to do. uh, yeah. Arteta has really taken an Arsenal team that I thought was mentally pretty weak and just, lacked leadership and and really had no heart and has made it into a side that you know is formidable so i think i think they're actually both going to win out and arsenal's going to sneak in and it's going to be the beginning of arsenal's rebirth so to speak uh so that'll be a big moment for them spurs though aren't going anywhere (laughs) that new stadium rich owner big manager i wouldn't be surprised if they made you know a deep run in the europa league next year and challenge for top four again. So I think it's going to be awesome. Or we, or we <laughs> flip to the other end of the table. What about you, Scott? How do you see those two uh, finishing up? And um, who do you think makes Champions League? Um, I I actually am going to have to disagree with David here. And not, not on Arsenal making Champions League. I, I think Arsenal will make Champions League. But I think the reason is because I think Spurs under Conte has shown time and time again that they are capable of playing against teams that come at them and actually play rather decent football. Um, the, the fact that throughout the season they haven't they they didn't lose to either City or Liverpool this this season, which I I actually think is quite an impressive feat. But the reality is is they've continuously dropped points against teams that they should not be dropping points against, and both teams have you know, opposition that still have some things to play for. But I, I could see Spurs putting in a, a Spursy performance as we've seen over the years. And uh, you know, maybe maybe Arsenal just sneak right in. Yeah, I, I've seen uh, enough from Vout Wegforce to let me know that Burnley is not scoring against Conte again. Romero's <laughs> healthy now. Um you know, David said it earlier, you don't hire Conte for uh, virtuoso performances. You hire that poor Italian rug for the brain that sits under that poor Italian rug on the top of it. <laughs> we'll um, see. That's why you hire that man. We'll see who gets in. I'll say this. Arsenal better get it because they had it all in their hands with yeah. two matches ago. And Arteta can afford it. Spurs still have the three best players, maybe on either seat. If you combine both teams, Spurs might have definitely the two best, if not the three best players on their side. So I'd argue that, you know, those guys will all still be there and the veteran manager next year, even if they're in the Europa League. Arsenal really needs this because they're on the cusp and it's been a long, long time. So let's flip real quick to the bottom of the table. Leeds is clearly in trouble. Uh, with their points differential on same level with Burnley at 34 points. Everton sitting above them slightly at 36. Burnley and Everton with the games in hand. Um, Real quick, you know, Leeds has winnable matches or at least games they could get something out of with Brentford and Brighton if they were to show up. David, do you expect Leeds to go down? Do you expect kind of a, a turn in the tail here? Um, maybe a Burnley collapse, or could we be so lucky for Everton to lose all their matches? <laughs> no, I think that the Everton will stay up. Um, Me too. It's he's got them playing a little bit better. It's enough that you know, like when they when they are in good form and the fan base is behind them, 
it's a it's a club that can that could win things, you know, but they don't. Even though they don't, but they can win matches. And, you know, I think that they'll survive it uh, just barely by the skin of their teeth. But they're going to survive it. I think for Leeds, I you know, I like Jesse Marsh a lot. I think he's a good coach. I think he's going to have to get them back up out of the championship as well. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. And Scott, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I I was hoping and, and praying for Burnley to go down in the beginning of the season, right? I mean, I, I just can't think of a more negative team over the last few years than, than Burnley Football Club. And then, obviously, when Everton had this dire stretch of form, then I kind of switched my answer to them. And I remember a couple of weeks ago, Galley asked me, Who's going down? And I said Everton's going down. And surprisingly, they they picked up a couple of results, and and I didn't think they had it in them. And now it now it looks like I'm going to change my answer again. And I I think Leeds uh, definitely just the, the form they have, the the cards and the desperation they're showing right now. I do agree. I think Marsh is quality. I think that he does have the ability, given a preseason, giving a full season, he can really make those players tick. I think that Leeds does have quality talent. In fact, I would actually put Leeds talent well above Burnley for sure, and and to an extent the individual players on Everton, but the reality is they probably need a little bit more time with the manager to be able to play his thing. So I, I, I think that leads are going to go down. Yeah. Yeah. They, I, I too, I mean, I started the season predicting Burnley to go rooting for it all year long, kind of like Tamuchin. Once they fired Sean Dyche, I thought it would be funny for them to stay up and him <laughs> have to coach in the championship. Um, but I'll tell you what, after seeing how Villa played, Villa's not laying down for anyone, and those are guys playing yep. for jobs next year. So yep. they got to play a Tottenham team that needs to win to stay in the Champions League hunt. They got to play a Villa team that wants to finish as high on the table as they can. And they got to play a Newcastle team that, until getting smacked 5 nothing yep. by City, gave us a run for our money for 90 minutes and had played everybody else up that they had been put in front of them in England tougher than anyone informed but us all year. So, you know, Burnley. Burnley could get zero points from here on out, and it wouldn't shock me. So now you're asking me, is there a way for Leeds to get a point? And Brentford, Brighton, those are Jekyll and Hyde teams. Either one could show up and lose 2-0 or, or win you off the pitch. Um, I will say this. If I'm Everton, you better get your point or two against Brentford because you want that out of the way. Because you don't want to go into that last day against Arsenal with any chance at going down. Um, and I will say this, I give Frank Lampard and all those folks credit. They deserve it. When you beat United, you beat Chelsea, and you beat Leicester, when you were on a run that everyone had you down because nobody saw you getting one point in any of those and you got nine, you know, that's why they'll stave off relegation. And that's the type of thing that builds on a club. And let's just hope it builds them from 18th to 15th next year because <laughs> – well, who the hell wants to see? It's a long ride back to the top. So speaking of the top, anyone who knows anything about football in England will let you know that the FA Cup is old. We can ask Bickler. One time we asked him on a trivia question, and I think his question was, as long as the Premier League. And we said, well, no, actually, as long as the FA Cup's been around, which is like a hundred and, well, a hundred and hundreds of years. So um, this is a big one. The last trophy that Jurgen Klopp has um, been unable to obtain, so this would give him the full cabinet um, while manager of Liverpool. Let's start with the lineup. David, what do you expect? How much of a difference from the Spurs lineup do you envision, obviously knowing that Fabinho's role will need to be replaced? Um. No, I mean, it's going to be different. Salah is going to start, obviously. Um, Mane, I think, will start, and Diaz will start. But I'm, I'm just going to throw it out there. It's possible that if he's healthy, because I've heard that he'll be on at least on the bench. But if he were healthy enough, I could see him putting Bobby straight in. But, uh, you know, we'll see. I don't know if he'll be ready for that, but he'll be on the bench. So uh, I'm going to go with Diaz, Mane, and Salah up top, and then, you know, Hendel will play the six. 
and be flanked by Tiago and Keita. And then I expect your usual back line, but, it, or, well, it'll be Kanate instead of Matip, in my opinion. Yeah. So I got the same exact lineup as you do. Um, and I actually, on my crazy little sheet, had Bobby right here circled, actually, yeah. um, because he was on the bench. And yeah. I think he would have played had it not been for the Fabinho injury. I think he would have gotten 15 or 20 minutes in that match against Villa. And I think he would have been then really in line for a start in this uh, match. We struggled mightily against Chelsea at times, breaking them down, breaking them down with 10 men, um, playing them at Stamford Bridge. You know, I think it's seven of the last 10 matches in all competitions have gone to draws, including two to extra time and penalties um, in the Super Cup and the League Cup. We've almost played them to a stalemate. Um, over what has been our greatest two, three year window. Now we're not losing matches to them. I do think we'll be in a better spot in this one because I don't think that club is in a very good place um, mentally. I think the uh, the sale and the unrest of the ownership has absolutely weighed over their heads. If we think that um, having a contract be offered to you between two hundred and four hundred and fifty thousand dollars a week is a lot of stress do you know what having half of your fan base hate your ownership and having the other half be detestable human beings who support a war criminal yeah, that's a tough spot to be in people um no no i don't have any opinions about the no, that's that's nothing. Uh, when well, you put it like that you know it's like oh, yeah yeah it's, just ask me what nice. i think about kids in jerseys um but <laughs> i do believe that kanate will start I, I think Kanate has earned himself a role in a starting 11. I'm not saying it's our first 11, but I think tactically there are matchups that make the most sense, and this is one of them. It'll be interesting. We have plenty of time before the Champions League final to get to that one. But um, for this matchup, I do expect that as well as, as the full foyer of players. If there was one guy I would look for, you know, there are five subs in this competition. Yeah. So you know there's probably a moment for number 27 to uh, walk oh, out on the pitch, stroll out there, look like he might know what day it is, might know it's a final, might think I it's said. just a training session, and may just <laughs> drill the winner. Um, I've said all yeah. along he's got at least one more magical moment in him. Yeah, <laughs> got to have one more in him. I, I feel like there has to be at least one more. Um, Scotty, from a lineup standpoint, what do you expect? Any differences um, that you expect to see? Wild card, uh, third balls. Yeah, I, I think that you guys you guys hit the the forwards in the midfield um, to to what I believe. I, I think that it's going to be Salamane and Diaz. I think Diaz, from his time here, has proved that he's capable of starting at least for the time being uh, ahead of Jota right now because I, I think the connection's been brilliant between him and Mane and Salah. Uh, our midfield. Not that it picks itself, but with Fabinho out, I think that Keita has proved over the last half season that that he is capable of starting and actually um, really impacting games positively. Uh, I I'm a Matip fan. I love Matip. I loved him ever since he Thank come you. here. I I think that he is our uh, you know best partner to Van Dyke defensively. Um, Konate probably is faster, maybe, you know, definitely stronger has probably more of an eye to goal, but if you're looking at primarily our connection in the back, just defensively speaking and, and our ability to hold lines and our ability to, uh, play out of the back, I do think Matty definitely shows himself to, to be our, our best partner to Van Dyke. That being said, with cups, I, I think that Van Dyke definitely does reward play, and I think that Konate deserves a start. Not not that I think that he'd start over Matty, but if he does start, I have no issue with it. I I have no, um, you know, regrets or reservations. I I think that he's he's quality to play there. Yeah, I just feel like the start against Spurs, uh, the way that they the way Spurs play three at the back, and the way that they try to hit on the counter. You know, they have a strong center forward. They have pacey wingers. Yeah. Similar to how Chelsea will set up and try to exploit the space left if the fullbacks go forward. I just think if tactically in the what was the biggest match of the year against Spurs, 
He went with Kanate. I just feel like he'll be going with him here. Um, give me give me a score prediction, David. And while you're at it, if you want to throw out maybe a bold or excited thing, you know, you want to tell me Nabi Keita hits a screamer in, a, in stoppage time, <laughs> I, I, I'm all here for it. You want to tell me Harvey Elliott hits a bicycle kick in extra time, I'm here for it. Talk oh, to me. The scenes. I think it's going to be, you know, it'll be a – we're all going to be expecting a tight affair. And I don't, I don't know if that's what we're going to get. Actually. I think it'll, it'll start like a cup final and then someone's going to get a goal and all hell's going to break loose for about yeah. 40 minutes. And I think it's going to finish three, two to the reds with Mo banging a winner. And that's how he gets back on track mm. <laughs> with a cup. final. Talking like like kind it. of language. <laughs> what about you? Uh, for, first of all, I think that, um, but before we went into, you know, maybe the prediction that was, I was debating whether we see, you know, Lukaku starting or not. Just you were talking about Konate, um, you know, playing against a, a strong center forward. Um, if Lukaku starts, I think that just based on current form and everything going on, I think that Liverpool go in 3-1 to the good. I think if Lukaku doesn't start, it is going to be far more uh, stalemate affair. I, I would see it going into extra time, but I agree with David. I think Mo has a quite a bit to play with it. Possibly a, a volley. I think you heard it here first. A volley, top of the box for the winner. <laughs> All right, we're going. We're going. We're calling now where the goals are coming from. I was just looking for winners. Um, <laughs> so I'm actually going to go, and and Tamucci would be so frustrated. He'll be sitting on the edge of his seat, anger and angst, and his. And his, his, his Turkish stress meters will be just going <laughs> off the charts. Stitch will be looking for snacks and getting fed. Because I think we score early in this match. And I think we put the clamps on them. Because I do think that they look to me like a side that is almost completely down tools. Um, Spurs winning today actually guarantees them top four, basically, with a point. So, you know, I do think they know it's for a title. I think there's unrest about whether the manager's back. I think you're going to see at least one striker start who won't be at the club next year, whether that's Werner or Lukaku. Um, <laughs> Havertz hasn't looked good in a while. They really don't know. Yeah. And their back line is literally under contract all across <laughs> Spain. Um, <laughs> literally, they're going to put out three they're guys who don't. Yep. They're going to put out three guys who have already committed their wow. futures to other clubs. Yep. You know, Rudiger's off to Real Madrid. Christensen and Aspilicueta are both off to Barcelona. They're all going Barcelona. in nicer weather than London. You know, I, I mean, and, and, and getting out from under, well, we've, we've already called them enough names on this podcast. Um, so with that, we're going to say, I'm going to go 3-0. We're up 2-0 by half. We score another. And maybe that's the D-Box celebration tour. He can do cartwheels around the pitch. Um, so <laughs> before we go, minute Dev goal. <laughs> Scotty, where uh, where will you be watching the match? Will you be alone? Will you be in your? Uh, no, I'm group? I'm uh I'm gonna be down in Charlotte. I'm gonna go to the bar in Charlotte, Valhalla, where the uh, OLSC of Charlotte go and and watch it all, and. Uh, from there, proceed on to the Charlotte FC game. But obviously, this this Liverpool game is the the main event. So well, make, I'll be there with, with hundreds of my friends. <laughs> make sure that um, the folks, the good folks there at the OLSC, have them tag us if they have a social media team there that day. We'd love yep. to feature them at some point. Uh, again, you know, an article, a podcast. And David, what about you? Watching with a crew, watching at the house. What's the plan? No, I'm going to be watching at the Brew House Cafe here in Atlanta. It's like over in Little Five Points. Uh, it's a good little bar. Kind of a mixed crowd. It's not actually the OLSC location, but uh, it's a little bit closer to my house. So I like that, so, especially if we're drinking. <laughs> but uh, I got a couple of buddies coming up from Tampa. We're going to get there early, hang all the banners. That's why you see the Mane banner behind me. You know, I got a couple others that are floating around the house. So I've got them all out, ironing them, you know. <laughs> That's what we like to hear. We can't have we can't have wrinkled banners at our at our uh, <laughs> pubs and stuff. We'll be at uh, my wife and I. Kelly will get up. She'll uh, 
This is always fun for me. I get to go watch a football match with my wife where people don't make fun of me and give me shit that my wife is beating me in fantasy soccer because <laughs> doesn't happen for the FA She's beating Cup. everyone. It's okay. It is a good point. She is beating everyone um, That as far as our uh, contributors go. But we'll get up. We're going to go watch it with the crew as well. Um, but remember, if you're out there and you're at an OLSC, um, please find us, American Scouser Blog, on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. Send us a message. We would love to connect with you. Um, we have coasters. We have T-shirts we can send out. Different ways that your supporters groups can get involved or contribute to the content going through here. So, um, David, thank you again for a great article this week. Scotty, yes. uh, thanks for a great time tonight. And uh, uh, Monday night, I will be back with Timuchin in the big chair. And Bickler probably, you know, eating a pot of food out of a pan <laughs> straight from the stove. And uh, that's how we roll on Monday nights. But that's we require right. sleeves. And that is based on the listening audience. So uh, we we appreciate you all for listening. Like always, share, like, comment. You know the drill. Share, perform, subscribe. Tell us that we're great. Or more importantly, tell us that we're terrible because we love <laughs> that too. Thank you very much. Up the Reds. Here's Off the, the Wembley, let's go boys.